Good morning. I am so overwhelmed by the worship this morning. I needed that. I don't know about you. I needed his presence that tangible this morning. I've needed him that just like that this week. I don't know what you came in uh, out of the cold from, but isn't it good to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Man, I love the church. This, how do you explain that to people? We're in Acts, talking about the birth of the church. And we're specifically looking at Acts um, 6, 8 through 15, sort of. Um, I was given the task of covering chapters 6, 7, and verses 1 through 3 of chapter 8. So I'm going to try not to get outside of my text today. And I tried to focus it in because, man, that's a lot of text to cover. And Stephen is a character that has a lot going on in just a little bit of time in his life that we get to, to experience and get a bird's eye view of the world of the church through Stephen's eyes. God uses ordinary people to confound the world. Do you know that that is true? That the kingdom culture is counter-cultural to the world. Because you see, we serve a supernatural God. He's not bound by time. He's not bound by space. He is not bound by matter. But he chooses to set this world in motion and play by the rules. But we have access to him by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? I am a living testimony that God's word is true. Again and again, the Father reveals to me his MO, his modus operandi, and his strategy, if you will, to use ordinary people to reveal his heart to the world to reveal his heart to the church. The church is really made up of people who were created in his image, who chose, just like you and me, all of us, made in his image. We chose to respond to his overture of relationship because we were created to be in relationship. Relationship with the Father, Relationship with one another, but as the church, our relationship with the world, that's the mission. That's what we need the empowerment for. That's what we need the Holy Spirit for. Because if it were not true, Jesus wouldn't have had to go to the cross and die so that he could go to the right hand and prepare a place so that he could send the gift of the Holy Spirit. None of that would have been necessary. Sadly, it's all too painfully obvious that sin has messed up everything. The original system the blueprints were a little off, but he created a way for us to be reconciled unto him. God saw humanity in its condition, and he didn't react out of emotion and just write us all off or get mad, and I'm sure he felt emotion, but even disappointment. But he chose love. What kind of love is this? that he chose to respond with his amazing grace. God's strategy was to use us, ordinary people, to change the world, to bring the kingdom to earth as it is in heaven. And here we are some 2,000 years later talking about the same event, the same book of the Bible, this 
time that the church was born, but we are still struggling with the same stuff. I don't know why. We have a choice, church. We can react out of natural emotion, out of our our nature, out of our sinful nature, or we can respond by connecting with the source of unconditional love. It's a choice. You see, it's a difference to react or to respond. What are you going to do when you're squeezed? We will find out, Christians, when everything starts blowing up in your life, we're going to find out what's going to come out of your mouth, of your, of your face. I don't know. My face still needs deliverance sometimes. Uh, my mouth, too. Um, <laughs> off my script. Sorry. Uh, the enemy <laughs> hasn't had to change his strategy since Adam and Eve. He's been pulling the same okey-doke tricks since Adam and Eve. Oh, you got something there on your sweater there, Sue. How many times are you going to fall for Uncle Joe's trick? How many times are we going to fall for the the, the enemy, not peep his strategy and understand what he's trying to do by the way he's trying to do it? The objective is to stop the gospel from being spread. He is stopping this love revolution that that was unleashed in X. He has been using, again, the same strategy for far too long, church. I don't know how many of us understand There is a kingdom strategy that we are to be known for as body of believer. There's some characteristics that we should be known for. And I don't know if you knew, I left social work. I was bivocational for a long time, like 11 years. But I finally left social work and doing that work for full-time ministry. And it was a struggle. God had to teach me a lot of things in that transition. And I, I... I had to work to support my ministry habit, so what was I going to do? <laughs> and I left social work because God isn't about behavior modification. He is about heart transformation. This radical transformation that he wants to do in every single person's life, that he must do in every single person's life, because all of us are subject to a sinful nature. There's none of us that escape. And if you found somebody perfect, we talked about it earlier, uh, it's Jesus and it's time to go. Uh, <laughs> there is none that is outside of this Anyology out there in the world that's studying something, the study of, is only studying what God already knows because he's the one who created it. And I figured out the problem that I was having that was eating me up when I was in social work, that it was this behavior modification, life transformation thing. I knew that people should be free. Not continuing to struggle, owning their uh, diagnoses and, and, and making excuses for behaviors. And not saying that excuses, things aren't chemically wrong, but we have a guide And all of us are, and it's the word of God. It's the model of Jesus Christ. It is the power of the Holy Spirit. When we use those three things, we can be set free from the things and the shackles of this world that tether us and keep us from being the church. There's no discovery without self-discovery. This was the problem I was having, you see. I couldn't change anybody. I couldn't even change myself without God's help. If I wanted to get it right, I was going to have to do it his way. You 
I, we all are spending most of our time reacting to stimuli in the natural world. We either react hyper-reactive or hypo-reactive. I put a little picture in your sermon notes today. A simple little square. It's got a heart in the middle. It says love. In the top corner, when we react, the top section, the top two quadrants, we can react to things in the world, to such circumstances and things people say to us, things that we are feeling, things that we are thinking. In hyper or hypo-reactive. On the top is the hypo, known as the aloof. So I'm pretending that something's not wrong when you really clearly everyone can see there is something wrong. This is what I describe to kids as when your insides don't match your outsides. When this person is saying one thing, but they're acting a different way, their face is telling on them, that person is being what we call aloof. Or we can be react, hypo-reactive to, to poor me and make it all about ourselves and we become so inwardly minded that this is folks who get stuck in the poor me cycle committing suicide in the church, the place the hope dwells. Because we don't understand our own, we don't understand ourselves. I can't even get in, I had to take it out of all the quotes from Wesley talking about self-knowledge and understanding ourselves. And it's not until we can understand ourselves that we can even have an ounce of grace for someone else. And that reconciliation, that we understand ourselves that we are called to be representatives, magnifiers of God's goodness, of his glory. As Christians, we are called to choose to align to the truth of the inerrant word of God. And we, we use this truth to help us discern God's will here on the earth. Therefore, we should be known by those distinct characteristics. You know, love, service, giving. Remember Acts 2 I got to preach on a few weeks ago. They were giving everything that they had in excess to one another. They were giving it to the church so that nobody went without. And that affects our story today. This is what I love about the Bible. God uses stories, people, characters that he gives us little insights into and that we can, can see ourselves in. Because I grew up in the church. I know all the stories. My Sunday school teachers, my quizzing coaches and caravan leaders would be so proud that I used those stories to make one good decision at a time, to walk myself out of the hot mess I had made out of my life. I didn't make all the right choices, but they equipped me to be able to walk out of that darkness by the word of God. That word did become a light unto my feet. It did become a lamp before my path. And today, we're going to take a little bit of time to take a little character study, a, a character analysis, case study, if you will, of a man named Stephen. There's so much here, I'm going to try to keep it hmm, on the script. Uh, <laughs> you can see the entire, read the entire story for yourself in Acts 7, 6, 7, and 8. Spoiler alert, most of us know Stephen dies. He's the first martyr. What do you know about Stephen? He was the first martyr. Everybody knows that. Uh, well, church kids know that. He was stoned to death. Why was he stoned to death? Many believers know 
that it was because of the cause of the gospel, but really it was about him being surrendered to the Holy Spirit. It was about him being used by God to do supernatural things, and folks had a problem with it. He was loving people that were considered unlovable, and he was sharing the gospel with them, and that was a problem. Who is this guy, Stephen, and what can he teach us today? The scripture that we're going to focus in on reads the word of the Lord. Now, Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of freedmen, as it was called. Jews of Cyrene, Alexandria, as well as provinces of Sicilia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. But they could not stand up against the wisdom the Holy Spirit gave him as he spoke. And when he secretly persuaded, they secretly persuaded some men to say, we have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who would testify, this fellow never stops speaking against the holy place and against the law of Moses. For we have heard him say that Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change all the customs Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen. And they saw his face was like the face of an angel. Can you picture the scene? Because he was effective, miracle signs and wonders, because the things that the teachings of the disciples were actually manifesting through him by the power of the Holy Spirit, the enemy got in. Stephen was consistently effective in ministry and operated out of his kingdom identity. You couldn't tell Stephen nothing. You know anybody like that? I know you don't. God's grace and his power were all over him. He didn't act aloof. He didn't react when people were clearly calling him names and, and causing, and, and he walked into Jerusalem and it was just chaos. I don't know what's going on. Uh, it would have been very easy for him to get sucked up into a mess of drama, manipulation, arguing, pretending like, oh, I'm so pious, but then keeping up drama, aloof. Poor me. He didn't get into that either. He did not make the situation all about him. For some of us, that's hard to do. We all have that person. We pick up the phone like, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm not answering that right now. Uh, tell the truth. Uh, <laughs> he wasn't doing it because he wanted people to feel sorry for him. He wasn't being hypo-reactive. You know what else he wasn't doing? He wasn't being like the, 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 the Sanhedrin, the teachers of the law. He wasn't being like the, the teachers in the synagogue, being hyper-reactive, asking questions. What are you doing? And look at and accusing. The enemy is the accuser, the Bible tells us. So when we are behaving outside of love, we are going to be aloof, poor me, interrogator, even worse, an aggressor. 
Someone who constantly wants their point, their might makes the situation right. You know, Stephen grew up in the church. He was Greek speaking, so he did not grow up in Jerusalem. Rather, he was just regular simple folks living out in the country outside of Greece, experiencing and learning about the heart of the Father, learning all his lessons. He knew the Torah like the back of his hand. Chapter 7 proves it because he gives a speech based off of what he learned and heard Joshua and the prophets say, what he witnessed, I'm sure, Peter say, the history that he laid out and his understanding of the, of the Torah and the story that God is trying to write through us, through him in this moment, and through us today. Simple folks experiencing the heart of the Father and responding to that love. They called it Christianity. Stephen teaches us this. He teaches us, the first thing, I'm just going to give you a few things that bubbled to the top. I had to take a bunch off this morning, I'm sorry. Uh, You have (laughs) to know who you are because of whose you are. Stephen teaches us this, that to be effective in ministry and to be effective witness to the gospel, a credible witness to the gospel, if you will, you have to be secure in your identity. The truth is your identity is rooted in royalty. You are the child of the one true king. Stephen clearly knows this. And is completely connected to the Father. He doesn't get into the reactivity, the hypo, the hyper. He doesn't, he simply reinforces the truth to people he sees with eyes of compassion. They're lying about him. They're maligning his name. They're mistreating him. They've seized him. They just, he just witnessed what happened to Jesus, but he chose Stay rooted in love. We reinforce that at SCC in our training. We train our leaders for months. Actually, we never really stop reviewing. Who am I is the module, that first module of training, because when you start stepping into the spiritual realm, when you start stepping into the will of God, when you start stepping into effective ministry, do you know the enemy is going to attack you? And the first thing he's coming after is your identity. If there's any holes in the fence, you and the Father and the Holy Spirit better walk the fence and make sure you've got those patched up, that you've got your life, rule of life in place, that you have your spiritual development in place because the enemy's first MO, his first strategy is to take you out through your weaknesses. I often wonder in my spirit if believers really believe that they are who God says they are. If they can really see themselves through the grace, through the eyes, through the heart of the Father. How different our relationships would be if we looked first in ourselves so that we could see the world, the church, people through the eyes of God. I wonder how many people have this critical mindset, they critical in their own mind about their own identity. 
So they, therefore, can have no grace for anyone else's. Clearly, Stephen knew his identity was deeply rooted again in the, his relationship with the creator. You can see it. The, the Sanhedrin could see this countenance on his face. It was like a face of an angel. Because he was deeply rooted in love. Another thing he teaches us is Christians should be known by love and service. They had to make up stuff about Stephen. It's the power of telling your own testimony because I'll tell my own story because the enemy will add a bunch of junk and it wasn't even me. And I see this happening. He doesn't get reactive. When I see this happening, I know the old Irene, people will talk about me. I got something to say. Why is my name in your mouth? I got to confront that. I got to fix this. Oh, no. You come to the south side, this is going to be something you're going to have to learn in training. (laughs) What we do not do, because folks who are not believers, this is a no-no. You just don't do that. It's an act of disrespect. I believe that we can see in Stephen this ministry team that he got to be a part of because there was some inequity going on. Some of the Jewish Widows were getting fed more than the Hellenistic widows. I don't know who was getting more, but people weren't, different cultures weren't getting treated the same, and it was a problem, and the apostles appointed seven people to come and be over, t- over this compassionate ministry center. Did you get that? <laughs> and he put them in charge, and he did it with excellence. And that people were being saved and added to their numbers daily. And that folks were being filled with the Holy Spirit and being healed. Miracles, signs, and wonders. We should be serving folks. We should be known for the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Testimony after testimony. The spirit of division had settled into this community, however, of new believers. And sometimes people uh, don't recognize Sometimes, church, can I just be honest? It bugs me sometimes that we don't recognize when the enemy gets in and we don't call it out right away, out. If it's anything that is keeping us from being one, if there's anything that is keeping us from sharing with one another, bearing each other's burdens, and then sharing in each other's joys, then it's got to go. People were drawn to the church, original church by Acts 2.42, that they were drawn, that the lifestyle of having communion together, breaking bread together, that they were worshiping together and the teachings of the disciples in prayer every day. People were drawn to that. It was community. It fed something in our psyche as humans that we need to be in relationship. The Acts 2 church was counterintuitive to the world, to the Sanhedrin, to what was the establishment, to status quo. It was counterintuitive to those who had not yet experienced the presence of the Holy Spirit in their life. They knew about God, but they didn't know like Stephen knew. They were selling their possessions so that none would have lack. What? They're not giving their money to the church. They're giving their money to these poor ladies. What? What if the church was the one given that being known for service and love, for giving? Verse 9 tells us that Stephen jumped into his call to service of social justice work to make sure that the widows were served with equity. What if the church was known for that? 
He was powerfully used by God and effectively leading when the Jewish leaders were threatened. That grace and power that the, the scripture talks about was, that he was operating in. Again, they're just like Jesus did. They did Jesus. They started spreading lies and rumors. They plotted to take Jesus out. It worked once. Surely it will work again. But Stephen's response was different than our Savior's. Our Savior went to the cross to fulfill his call, his path, prophecy. Stephen, he walked his path, filled his call. Irene is doing her best to walk her path, to fill her call. Our call and what we learn from, from Stephen is that you have a call, you have a path that God wants to do through you, accomplished through you, because of your response to his love, we serve. We are the church. The local church is the church. Common, simple folk who follow and believe that what God says is true. We follow his Holy Spirit as we walk our path. What could God do if we were obedient? If we really believed? We are a church, and because we have chosen to follow Jesus and to believe on Jesus and his living word and live like we believe, so our insides match our outsides. It's a work, it's a process. We're never going to be done, achieved on the side. I do not believe. The same is true about for you and I. We are the church and we are all. I think Kelly said it earlier about uh, a, a, a training tonight. We're all leaders. We're all called to lead something. Whether it's your family, your neighborhood, your Jerusalem, your Judea, Samaria, you are called. Walk your path. We have to examine our hearts to make sure that we have not allowed something to keep us from walking our paths. We are most effective when we follow and believe and act like we know. And Stephen models that for us. And for all the new converts and followers of Jesus that he was living out his life in front of in this Jewish lifestyle, trying to live by the teachings of Jesus Christ, it was causing conflict in the synagogues. It was causing conflict in the church. There's some fun facts that we can, can, can um, change things around a little bit last night because I, I just can't leave this part out. It changes the whole story for me. Some fun facts about Stephen. He was a devout Jew who grew up in a countryside near Greece. It is believed that he had to make a journey to Jerusalem, a journey to Zion. And I can't imagine being a wide-eyed teenager walking into the epicenter of the religious world, of everything he knew, walking into Jerusalem, seeking. I am sure he was thinking it was just filled with all these saints like the Torah, and, and he was like a tourist, just open, wide-eyed, seeing everything for the first time, like Joshua, breaking down the history of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Moses. He knew that story. 
All of chapter 7 is basically repeating that very same history that he, he grew up knowing. Church kid, caravans, Phineas Esperzee Award, yes. No, kidding. A wide-eyed Jewish kid who only heard, had heard about Jerusalem. He was likely a witness to the Passover, which means he likely witnessed the crucifixion of Jesus. He likely witnessed the disciples being scattered because their leader was just crucified. He could have been a witness even to Peter reacting out of fear, hyper-reactive, uh, hypo-reactive, denying that he even knew who Jesus was. I, am, I don't know who you are talking about, this Jesus. Are you one of the disciples? Denied him three times. He could have been a witness to Jesus' very resurrection. Huh. Heard the news, spread like wildfire all over town. He's alive. He's alive. What in the world? He was likely there in Jerusalem when the 120 broke out of the upper room and took off and fell out of the upper room speaking in tongues on Pentecost. He likely witnessed Peter's sermon that came right out of that room, recounting all the stories of the Torah so that he's known since childhood. Could God have been writing this story for him for generations? He must have been wondering. I don't know if you've ever found yourself wondering. I'm like, have you been writing this whole story for me to understand right now in 2021 that you have something for me? Man, what wondrous love is this? Keeping his promises, fulfilling prophecy through Christ Jesus, who they just sacrificed. He was a witness to what God was doing. And I'm sure it all came together for him in that moment that he heard Peter speaking, that he could react and personality types and reject the word, what he was hearing. He could become angry about what he was hearing. He could become, oh, poor me, look what I did to Jesus. Uh, and, and, and all reactions and wastes of energy because truly all God wants us for, to respond to his love. He could have gotten the right fight. He didn't. He experienced God's love, and he received the heart of the Father. He could have been among one of those in Acts 3 who asked, what must I do to be saved? When he heard Peter's words and became one of the 3,000 that were added to the converts that day on Pentecost. I don't know if you knew that already, but that changes his story completely for me. If we are witnesses of God's love, how much more could God do 2,000 some years later that we have so much more experience with the Holy Spirit than Stephen? I think that's why Jesus says we'll do greater things. Another thing just 
Steve teaches us is that Christians don't fight fair. If we're fighting like the world, then you're not doing it right. There's a difference between right fighting and spiritual warfare. And can I be honest again? Sometimes our discernment is off. Sometimes we allow, the, like I said, the spirit of division to get in and we miss it. We don't recognize that the enemy hasn't had to change his strategies again since Adam and Eve. And we allow him to keep us from planning to execute and executing the plan. And the plan, our charge, we already know. What are the greatest commandments? We all know to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and to love others. There's our tools. Plan to execute, execute the plan. It's the local church setting where the plan of ministry, of the gospel, the ministry of reconciliation is executed. The natural world lives in reaction, right fighting. That's not love. That's not a response. That's hyper-reactivity, a trick of the enemy to lie, deny, and make counter-accusations. That's what he does. That's his MO, his strategy. If all else fails, might makes right. You're doing it because I said so, and I'm more mighty, so then I must be right. All natural world flesh, not kingdom culture. I get so upset with myself when I find myself getting sucked into arguments and wanting to right fight and being in reactivity and entering into a battle of wits with people. I thank the Holy Spirit. Now, when he checks me, nope, not participate in that. Because I am empowered by the Holy Spirit to choose love. With God's help. The story of Stephen also reveals how fleshly and worldly the Sanhedrin had really become. This is what Jesus came for, to address this very same issue. Being hyper-reactive, hypo-reactive, sneaky, threatening, manipulative. To, and when Jesus gives us a choice, they didn't have to be reactive to and become threatened by the influence and experience uh, the exponential growth of the church. They could have joined in. They could have let their heart be softened and received the, uh, the power of the Holy Spirit. They could have experienced the love of God and everything would have been different. But no, they had to, they had to be stopped. We had this crazy radical love. Oh no. Stephen did not get into a right fight with the Sanhedrin. He teaches us by his response what love looks like in this situation when you're faced with lies, division. And again, I got to ask, church, are we worried about the wrong stuff? And we, lo- we have lost our way. If we have found ourselves arguing and trying to, uh, trying to reason our way out, it's just loving people. Just do it. Pray for people. So there's a need, meet it. God gave everyone free will, choose him or not, but it really is our choice. And again, it all hangs on the most important commandments. We already talked about those foundational truths. We can't change anybody, can't even change ourselves. We need God's love to do that. And the leaders of the Sanhedrin were distracted by outcomes. They wanted power. They wanted control. And they didn't like the influence. They didn't have as much influence anymore. And so power and control became what they were known for, not service and love, not giving 
generosity and the fruits of the Holy Spirit. The temptation is to control and manipulate instead of operating in righteousness and the sanctifying and being winsome and sharing the sanctifying knowledge of a right relationship with the Father and the Holy Son and the Holy Spirit. Another thing, last thing I'll leave with you, the last challenge really that Stephen gives us is to take a kingdom stand. Sometimes the fight isn't about the relevance of the, our, our, our energy, our efforts to change people. Really, it's about being obedient in that you don't know what God is up to. Stephen had no idea what God was up to. His story brought him to this place that he's been lied about. He's just trying to serve. I'm just pouring out my heart for people. I'm just trying to do the right thing. He's being lied about, talked about, mistreated. Just like his Jesus. Just like his Savior. It got bad when he was really serving the marginalized populations where the freedmen, the slaves that were set free. Jewish folks were a little annoyed by his influence on them and they were adding to the numbers of believers and it was shifting in power. It was shifting status quo. It really got bad, exponentially worse when he went to the synagogue of the freedmen. I took out the social justice piece on that because that's a whole nother sermon. Jesus went to the cross led like a lamb, we remember, to fulfill prophecy and God's promise. I wish I could have seen the faces of the Jewish leaders when he began to glow in that Shekinah glory of God. He chose not to be quiet before his accusers, however. And he began to preach. The entirety of chapter 7 is a sermon that Stephen preached about the tradition of the, the, the Jewish people and the stories of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joshua. He was affected by the words that he heard by the apostle Peter. You crucified the Savior. All of them heard the same speech that transformed Stephen's life and caused him to convert to Christianity. He got to see their faces as they heard his words. Before he died, he prayed for them, Lord, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Receive, he was imitating his Savior as much as he could to the very end. Lord, receive my spirit. And he fell asleep to the very end. One of my favorite quotes is a poster over my bed when I was a teenager. It's a picture of Martin Luther King. If you have not found something that you will die for, then you are not fit to live. We all have to take a stand. Desmond Tutu, who spent his entire lifetime in the sacrifice for the struggle of marginalized people. He said, if you're natural, neutral in a situation of injustice, you have chosen the side of the oppressor. Stephen took a stand. And because of that stand, 
he was martyred. But because he was obedient until the end, imitating his Jesus. All of the Sanhedrin, all that witnessed, got to hear the gospel message. They got an opportunity to choose life. Choose you this day who you will serve. It's very interesting. Acts 8, 1 through 3 tells us that Saul was among the witnesses. That after he fell asleep, after Stephen died. He approved of what had just happened, the stoning. And the witnesses of the Sanhedrin took all their cloaks and laid them at Saul's feet. Something was happening. Something was happening. Because Stephen died, they all witnessed the gospel. They all heard the heart of the Father. And it was at work in their hearts. Stephen's spirit-filled witness affected a man from Tarsus that persecuted the church, led the charge of the persecution of the church. But he also, they also inadvertently spread the gospel all over the world. They affected a man who had heard the very same speech who encountered the Holy Spirit and became the greatest missionary and wrote most of the Bible that we know today. Stephen's challenge to us is to take a stand. I want to pray for us before we leave that we leave anything that hinders us in the natural Whatever our MO is, whatever our natural response, aloof, poor me, interrogator, aggressor, hyper, hypo, all of its reactivity, and it's not love. Whatever it is in us that is not love, may God reveal it to you. May you wrestle with it like Stephen wrestled with it. What must I do to be saved so that we can be set loose out of this building today like the 120 on fire for the Holy Spirit, with the Holy Spirit on fire to see people set free, relationships set free, our, our community that is decaying around us set free because of the church being known for love, being known for service, being known for generosity. Can we break out of here like the 120? I think we can. I think that's what God's calling us to do. I think that's what the world needs more than anything right now. I want you to stand on your feet before our Lord. He is in this place. His love is in the atmosphere, and this is our chance to choose to respond or react. What are you going to take a stand for? Father, in the name of Jesus, we are grateful today, Lord, to be in your presence, so undeserving. But your great grace, your amazing grace 
has provided a way for us to be empowered by and filled by your Holy Spirit today, Lord. Examine our hearts, oh God. Reveal to us the truth. You know how deceitful the heart is, that no man can contain it. Lord, I know the truth of the matter is I can't change anybody. I can't even change myself. Help us to know that for sure today, Lord, afresh and anew. We need your help, Lord, and we are asking for it boldly today. Lord, we ask for your help to face what it is that we don't want to see sometimes about ourselves, to know ourselves so that we can have compassion on others because we've experienced your compassion in our imperfections. Lord, help us not to be distracted, focusing on the wrong stuff. Lord, help us with our discernment, Lord, that we keep our eyes on you as Stephen did until the very end, Lord, that we model our lives even unto death, Lord, modeling our lives patterned after Jesus. That when we speak, we speak the word of God. There is no idle words on our tongues. Father, we earn our money. We are faithful. And to give it to you, to trust you with it, to challenge us to be more gracious, more giving every day because none of us can outgive you. Oh, faithful one, help us be faithful as you are faithful. As we leave this place, Father, as we've been in the saturation of your Holy Spirit in this place, Lord, may our countenance be like that of Stephen's. Like a face of an angel, we've been in your presence, Lord. We are poured out in this world, loving and serving and giving. Until we are called together again here. At the same time, next week, Lord, tis for more. Lord, we pray for more. Even more than what Stephen experienced, Father. He didn't get to live out his life. He didn't get to see the church grow and spread, Lord. He didn't get to see 2,000 years ahead. But, Father, we get to go look back and know what you've done over the last 2,000 years. And, Lord, we ask for more. We want more, Father. And as we look into the millennium, church, take a stand. We hear your call, Lord. <coughs> and we are grateful. Bless us this day, Lord. Seal this message in our hearts, Lord. Set us on fire. And cut us loose onto the world. And we give you the glory today. In Jesus' powerful name I pray. Amen.